Well, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, still hopped up on sugar, I see. Man, great to be with you this morning. If you're new, my name's Ryan. Uh, if you're not new but you hadn't, didn't see me last week, I got a haircut. Um, my wife says that I look meaner, um, and so I got to smile more, she told me. Uh, and my neighbor, we had a, this big Halloween party for our neighbors last night. It was great. And she just told me I look like a 10-year-old now. So I was like, okay, well, I'll never shave my head again. Thank you. Um, but welcome. Thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to have you. Uh, this morning, we're finishing up our series, Unnoticed Grace. What's true of you that you never knew? We're in the first chapter of this letter to the Ephesians. Uh, and I just want to do a quick recap and then dive into where we're going. We have this abbreviated short form uh, phrase, if you will, that, um, that really, I believe, is our working definition of what God's grace is. And, and we said this for, not from, as a result, from, not for. Uh, and, and the reason I've repeated it really the last five, six weeks is this idea of what's true of us is so hard for us to really uh, allow sink into our souls that we constantly need to preach that to ourselves so that we begin to live out what's actually true of us. For, not from, what that means is that God is fundamentally for you. Far more than what he wants from you, he is for you. Uh, And we said this over the last few weeks that Jesus died on the cross for you. Anyone who's willing to die for you is for you. Now, as a result, we live from a place, those of us who are followers of Jesus, we live from a place of blessing, not for blessing. This is so important. We don't do good things as followers of Jesus to be blessed. We are blessed, and so as a result, we do good things. And this is, so you live because God, you have a God who's for you. This is grace, God who's for you, undeserved, unmerited favor of God, the God who's for you. We live from blessing. We live from approval. We live from acceptance, not for approval, acceptance, or significance. You already, we already have it. And, and so as we've been journeying, we've talked about some things that are true of us, that you're chosen in Christ, that you've been adopted into the family of God. You're, you're heirs to the inheritance of God. I mean, just think about that. You've been redeemed, bought back, forgiven. Last week we talked about being sealed, and this morning we're going to be talking about being empowered by God. These are all present tense truths of us. And now one of the things to help mark this and help us remember this because I, is uh, we, we made these uh, pencils. And so if there's a particular week or maybe one of the things that you went like, man, I really needed to hear that or I, I want to be reminded of it. All, all these pencils have the, the one word title of every message and you can go and get a collection of all six ones, you know. I feel like this is a happy meal now. Uh, but... But right here, this white one is you're adopted. Uh, this orange one, you're redeemed. Uh, this pencil one, you are sealed, green, chosen, blessed, light blue, dark blue, empowered. And you may just need to kind of keep this maybe in your ear and walk. No, I'm just kidding. But, but you may need to uh, just keep it in your car. Keep it somewhere where you just keep that in front of you. And go, okay, this is what God wants to remind you. And you can just pick those up on the way out. The question this morning that's before us is a question that more often than not as a pastor, when I sit across the table from someone, is the underside of their question. Whether it's a student wrestling with their future, whether it's a parent with their kids, a professional in their job. This is the question that I'm faced with regularly. I I get to meet with people throughout the week, and it's great, and get to hear what God's doing in their life and the concerns on their heart. But but this is the question that most often is asked. 
Uh, maybe not quite phrased like this, but uh, it's not like some big theological treatise and how can we, you know, understand, uh, you know, God's sovereignty and man's free will. We don't, like, dive into that. We talk about life. And the question that gets asked is, how do I live above my circumstances? I mean, as a student wrestling with your future and sitting across the table, how, how do I live above my circumstances? As a professional struggling with coworkers or the environment of your job or, or that boss that you're just going like, the boss. Or the parent in the midst of chaos with the kids. I mean, I get this. My, my daughter is, uh, I know with the haircut you wouldn't know it, but, but my, I have a daughter that's going to be a junior higher next year, and I'm going like, oh, mama. <laughs> freaking me out and trying to figure out, okay, what's the best school and how's this going to do? Are these decisions going to incredibly mess them up? Or just the person in the midst of incredible pain? We ask this question. I may not say it quite this way, but how do I live above my circumstances? I mean, where do you find strength to face the future with confidence? I mean, where do you find strength to persevere in the midst of the trials of life? And sometimes they feel like waves that just keep hitting and hitting, and you come up for air, and then it hits you again. And where do you find the strength to keep going? Where do you find the strength to do what's right regardless of the cost? And some of you are in industries where to get that account, it's just common practice, but it's not moral or right. And you know that to do what's right would cost you your job or cost you that account. You know to do what's right, you can't go there, you can't do that, and you can't say that, but it actually costs you personally. Where do you find the strength to do what's right when it costs you? Where do you find the strength to bring peace to chaos? I mean, we're coming up to holiday season, and that is chaotic, and then uh, enough as it is, and the hurry, and busy, and bustle, and all that, but then all of a sudden, you add chaos of family into all of that. Where do you find the strength to be, instead of one who pours gasoline on the fire, one who begins to bring peace, that your presence brings peace? Where do you find the strength to respond with love to those who are difficult? It's interesting, isn't it? Because those who are dis difficult outside our house, we can complain, we can gripe about, but sometimes those who are difficult are inside our house. And we're wrestling, and, and our thoughts are, you know what, but if, it's not like, how do I respond with love? It's how do they change? And if they would change, then everything would be worked out right. And when they change, so how do you find the strength, or where do you find the strength to respond to those with love, or when some walked into this room, where do you find the strength to forgive a deep wound? What he did to you, what she said to you. Where you look back and you've been carrying a wound and it's blistered up into bitterness or anger and you carry it on your back. Where do you find the strength for that? Uh, pop psychology would suggest that you just need to look within yourself. The answer, the solution is in you, and so you just contemplate your navel, I guess, and apparently your navel will give you the answer. And if you read any of the self-help books, that's basically what it is. You can self-help yourself. And, uh, but the problem is there's a whole category of self-help, and why are there so many books and yet not enough answers to bring real, lasting help and change. And then you get into the church. Now this is interesting because I think a lot of times we say things that are kitschy phrases that, that are actually more harmful than helpful. There's one in particular that we say a lot that is not true and it is not in the Bible. And yet we quote it as if it is a Bible verse. In fact, it's so often cultural, we'll say it to one another, and it has the same effect on our lives that pop psychology has in basically saying, you just look within yourself. And here's the phrase, and you've heard it, you may have said it, I don't know judgment, okay, no judgment, you don't, don't kind of elbow the person next to you if they just said it recently to you. But, but, but here's, here's, what they, here, here's what we say in the church. 
God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you have heard that? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to ask how many of you have said that, okay? We're not going to go there. But we say this all the time. By the way, that's not in the Bible. It's not. It's not in the Bible at all. What is in the Bible, Jesus said, in this life you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But he didn't say God won't give you more than you can handle. In fact, what that does, it does a couple things that are fairly destructive. One, it does something that says that my environment I can handle. Right? It, it says, I am the source of being to handle. Somehow God's not going to allow more than what I can handle, so I can depend on me. The second thing is ultimately it causes us to believe that God was not faithful to his promise. Because all of us, okay, many, most of us have been in a place where we're in the circumstances beyond what we can handle. And if that's a promise of God, well, then he didn't show up and he lied. So as a result, you don't trust God. Well, he never promised that in the first place. Now, what did God say? What would God say when you show up this morning and you go and ask that question? How do I live above my circumstances? Where do I find the strength? Uh, The Apostle Paul was wrestling with this in his own personal circumstances in uh, his letter to the Corinthians. And I believe if you walked in this room and if you got to sit across the table, not just with me, but if you sat across the table with the Apostle Paul, you know, the guy who penned 60 some odd percent of the New Testament, and you sat there and what would he say to you? He would certainly wouldn't say, look within yourself, and he wouldn't say, God, you know, won't let you have more than what you can handle. But this is what he would say. He would say this. My grace, speaking of God, God is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. See, my grace, and when we think about grace, this is interesting. We often think about just saving grace, which is true. God's saving grace that the minute you acknowledge, wow, I I need help, would you come into my life, make me new, that in that moment you experience the God who's for you and he died for you and you step into a relationship. But what's also true is that there's empowering grace. See, grace started the work in you, but grace also finishes the work. Grace is the thing that brings you all the way through to the end. You start this relationship and you live this relationship by grace. Grace, the God who's for you. And he's saying, by the way, my grace. My grace. Your circumstances, my grace. Your strength, not enough. My power. In fact, you can even flip these words. It means exactly the same thing. And flip grace and power. My power is sufficient for you. My strength. Your strength isn't. You don't have the strength in that circumstance to respond to him or her. You don't have the strength to endure wave after wave. You don't have the strength, but my strength is sufficient, more than enough for you. Now, check this out. For my grace. Isn't that interesting how it changes there? It's made perfect in weakness. Or my grace meets you in your weakest place. Grace not only got you in, grace will see you through to the end. That is God's answer to that question. How do I live above my circumstances? That you have the all-sufficient, empowering grace of God. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time answering this question. How do you experience the all-sufficient, empowering grace of God? Because here's what's problematic in the church today. We have followers of Jesus who are going through the motions, who are responding to the circumstances in their life just like everyone else because they're not relying and experiencing the power of God. By the way, those who are far from God, you know what they're longing for? is a real encounter with the presence of the God Most High that changes them. You know what's 
offered in Jesus Christ is a real encounter with the God most high that changes you and empowers you to live out a new life. In fact, the Apostle Paul gave this warning to his protege, Timothy. And as he was warning him, he said, watch out for those who embrace a form of religion but deny its power. I'd argue that much of the church today is living apathetic, powerless lives. And yet, and yet, God's answer to the question and the solution to the problems of our lives and circumstances, my grace is sufficient. My power, my power is available. So how do we experience it? If you got your Bibles, open up to Ephesians chapter one. We're finishing and closing out the chapter here. Verse 15, Paul starts this way. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Now circle this word. I keep asking, that phrase, circle, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, just underline glorious Father, we'll get back to that, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, and under the so that, if you would just do a little squiggly mark for me, all right? that you may know him better. Like, well, Ingram, where in the world are you getting this whole idea of the all-sufficient, empowering grace of God out of this passage? Well, if you read on ahead, you'll see it, but, but, but hang in there because Peter actually clarifies this for us. In 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3, he says this, His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Now think about this. His divine power, whose power? God's. Has given us everything we need. So as followers of Jesus, we have everything we need to live out the life God's called us to live. You already possess it, you already have it because it's based on his power and not your strength. For life, and then to live out the life the way he intended it, godliness. Through how? Knowledge of him who called us. Now, that word know right there, it's the Greek word epinosis. And there's different words in the Greek for uh, know. And this word isn't a knowledge or comprehension of attaining a certain level of facts or data. This, is, this word literally means to know by way of experience. This is the idea of a relational understanding of knowledge. And we have factual comprehension, but this is, I know you. Not like I know about you, but I know you. He's praying this for them. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom, insight, discernment, revelation, like that, whoa, aha, so that you might experience the full reality of who God is, that you might have this relational depth. Now, uh, growing up, I'm a pastor's kid, and so I had my dad tell lots of stories about me. Some good, some not good, and, and I get this still to this day, and especially when I'm around his world, you know, different people come up to me, oh, Ryan, and they don't grab my cheek anymore, thank God, uh, but then they come up to me, oh, Ryan, da 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 and then they'll spout off like they know me. How are the kids? Who are you? Are they good? Yes. Oh, I've been praying for them. Great. Okay. Now, was that story, was that about you? No, that was about my brother Jason. He's the one that really went, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's interesting. It's an interesting world to have lots of people, because he teaches around the world, come up to you and think they know you, but they don't know you. They know facts about me. They know stories about me. We've never had dinner together. We've never done life together. They know nothing. <laughs> well, they don't know nothing. But they don't really know me. It's interesting. Henry Blackaby wrote this in his book, The Power of the Call. I knew in my head all the Bible verses that I should live by, but I needed to know the God of those verses being real and personal in me in a real situation. 
I had to experience him being for me what he promised. The choice was mine, not God's. He had already given me the promises. I now had to receive them, uh, to receive them. I had a real choice. I could choose to believe him and live by his promises and the life he would bring to my life or not. And my guess is some of you know facts about God and you know stories about God, but here's my question. Do you know him? I mean, do you know him? See, Paul's prayer is that you would know and experience him. And here's what's so interesting, is we understand how this works relationally in our world. To really know someone takes time. To really know someone takes conversation. To really know someone is this give-and-take reality where you spend time and you listen to them and hear their heart, and then you share your heart with them. In our spiritual realm, we call that prayer. See, prayer is the pathway to experiencing the power of God in your life. Prayer. Uh, one person, I, I think it was Brother Lawrence, I, I can't remember, but he, he would define prayer this way, as simply keeping company with God. And this idea, not that this duty and this checklist, that you're going to miss, hello, it, it is saying, God, you're a real powerful being who's, who's expressed to us as not only creator but father and you want to have a relationship and I want to know you. Right, go back to, we had you do a little bit of work in the text. Remember, I keep asking. I love that. It's this persistent, consistent, continual prayer. It's not a one time. It's not like, hey, I did that checklist. It's like I'm going to keep pursuing and keep asking that the, now notice, Paul was always really aware of who he was praying to. We often forget that. We kind of just throw stuff up. Did you see that? Look at that. That God, remember, creator of the universe who spoke and all things came into existence of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who saved us by grace, the glorious Father, this, this incredible, majestic who dwells in inapproachable light and yet revealed himself as the approachable Father, that God? I mean, what would change if you just began to think about God before you talk to God? Now, now check this out because this is so good. This, is, this next part changed my prayer life. Because if you follow the teachings or the, the prayers of Paul in his letters, he has a cadence to them. He, he has a form. And, and what you'll notice is he'll tell you what he's praying or the contents of his prayer, and then he'll, he'll have this transition that is a so that, a purpose statement, a so that or an order that, and then he'll tell you why, it's pray, why he's praying that. This is so powerful because when you not only just pray something, but then you take, examine the contents of your prayer enough to know why you're praying what you're praying. He's saying, here's the content. I pray that you would have spiritual wisdom and insight and revelation so that you would know you would experience who God is. Now, this is so powerful. Because what happens to me is I don't often examine the so that's in my prayers. And so I pray prayers. God, would you do this? God, would you do this? Why? Because I want people to think better of me, honestly. Not because I really want your glory and your fame and your renown. No, it's just because I want to be known as someone who's a good communicator. Ooh, gross. It's interesting. I, I began to examine my prayers for preaching on Sunday, and I really found that there's, the personal pronoun was used far too frequently in my prayers. God, would you use me? God, would you speak through me? God, would, would, you, would you show up and, and use me with power and might? Because it's all about me, apparently. 
I started praying vastly different prayers where I'm praying for you like I never have before in my life. And I pray for God to work and show up in your life with power. When's the last time you examined the content of your prayer? Because prayer, just like any other relationship, a conversation, if you want to get to know me, you can't hear about me. You have to sit down and talk to me. And same with me, with you, is simply engaging in an ongoing love relationship with your Heavenly Father. That's what prayer is. And prayer is the pathway to experiencing the power of God in your life. How do you experience the all-sufficient, empowering work of God in your life? Well, let me ask you this, and I don't mean this, I don't mean this bad, but how's your prayer life? Because when I talk to people and they're wrestling, I ask, I ask that question, and they're like, I pray. I throw up stuff to God in the car. <laughs> yeah, 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 I pray. No, 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 no. Let me tell you, if I asked the same thing uh, if you're married and if you did the exact same thing with your marriage and communication, would you have a successful marriage? See, that's the weight of it all. How do you experience the all-sufficient, empowering grace of God? Prayer is the pathway to experiencing the power of God. Now, I love what Paul says next because this is so good. He says in verse 18, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, literally, that the lights would go on. That, I had this in my backyard last night. We threw this big party. It was awesome. Uh, but in my backyard, it gets really, really dark, and, and there's a trampoline, and I want the kids to be able to play and be safe. And so I took this back there, and I just simply, I won't put it in your eyes, but I put that on. Isn't that amazing? Look at that. I mean, that's it. Well, I'm going to kind of your eye. Oh, there you go. Oh, no, okay. And what he's saying is I pray that the lights of your heart would go on to see what's actually true because in the darkness you can't see it to be true but when the lights go on you go well of course it's been there all the time and we miss this spiritually he's going to pray three specific things he says in order that oh back to our so that formula here's why he's praying that that you may know the hope to which he's called you hope that there's a better tomorrow the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, that you come to a God who has all that you ever need, and you have all, as a result, all the resources you ever need. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That you have hope, strength for tomorrow, riches, the resources to what you need, not what you want, what you need. And then power. You have the strength for today. So he's like, I want the lights to go on. Now, now here's, here's, here's what this really is. What Paul is saying is your perspective is powerful. How you see life shapes how you do life. What he's saying is don't underestimate the power of your perspective because what you assume or see to be true is how you go about living out in your world. Let me give you a quick example. Uh, on Friday, Jenny and I are getting ready for our party, and I needed to fill up our propane tanks. Uh, and I had, we had a limited amount of time, and so I, put, I had two propane tanks, put them in the back of the car, but I drive over to the office, uh, and I had to get some tables and some chairs. You know, we had 30, 40 people at our house last night awesome. Uh, it was so fun, but we had to get ready. So I grabbed the tables, and I grabbed the chairs, and my last run from going upstairs to our office down to the car, which I left open, uh, I've noticed that a propane tank was missing. Now, the group that meets there regularly is AA, and they use uh, the facilities there, and so there's a lot of people around, uh, and I all of a sudden look around, because one of my propane tanks is missing. And instead of seeing these incredible, kind, gentle people, you know what I saw? Potential thieves. You've never done this before, I'm sure. And I looked around all through, scanned. In fact, I asked one guy, I said, hey, did you see anybody come near my car because I'm missing a propane tank? And it's like, no, I was into my phone. I, I, I didn't see anything. And I see some guy on the far side of the parking lot wearing glasses next to his car and his arms like this, and he's looking at me, or at least I think he's looking at me. And so I look at him too. <laughs> there he is. 
there's the propane tank thief. That's him. And he's, he's doing a stare down to see if I'll confront him. Oh, that's pretty, I was, I was gonna say ballsy, but that wouldn't be appropriate. Um, <laughs> I guess I did just say it, didn't I? And I go, you know, it's just a propane tank. If he really needed a propane tank, I, get, I actually have another one at, at the house, so um, that's fine. I drive off, get, go home, unload the stuff. On my deck <laughs> is the propane tank. See, because your perspective is powerful. Don't underestimate how powerful your perspective is because how you see life informs how you do life. Your perspective on what you have in Christ is powerful and will determine how you pray. It will determine how you live. It will determine what you say. And Paul's saying, I pray that the lights go on. Oh God, would the lights go on? How could you be missing it all this time? And you're just seeing a dark background and yet there's so much more. There's the hope to which he's called you. Would you see that? There's the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint. And there's his incomparably great power for us who believe. See, don't underestimate the power of your perspective. See, prayer is the primary pathway to experiencing the power of God, but our perspective informs how and what we pray and how we live. So let me ask you this. What's informing your perspective? Because what I did with that guy in the propane tank, by the way, is I operated on what was not true and assumed things and began to act in a way that was untrue. And I believe we do that all the time. Now the question that I think we have when we begin to wrestle with this and when I started off with God's answer to that question, how do you live above your circumstances of your life? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect and weakness is like I think the question inherent is how sufficient? I mean, how much power? Is it really enough to get me through the darkest times of life? Because there's moments in our lives where we just feel like the pressure and the pain and the heartache and, and it just feels like death, doesn't it? Maybe death to a dream. Death to future. Death to a relationship. How powerful is it? And he finishes with this. He says, that power, what power? Oh yeah, the incomparably great power he talked about that Paul so wants us to understand. He uses four different words in the Greek to unpack God's power. He's like, you don't get it. You don't understand. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead, seated him at the right hand uh, in the heavenly realms, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And, oh, there's an and too. That wasn't enough. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. We don't even have time to get into that, by the way. But suffice to say, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives and dwells in every follower of Jesus. You, is it sufficient? Well, I don't know. It was good enough to bring Jesus back from the dead and place him above all things. Is it good enough for you? Is it sufficient for you? See, right now at this moment, the unlimited, inexhaustible resources of heaven are available to you. Question is whose strength are you relying on? Most of the time, we go back to our pop psychology, I gotta find the strength within myself. Or God will never give me more than I can handle. And so it's it, back to the personal pronoun, I can handle. You're right, I can't handle it, but you can. What a powerful confession when you just get honest with God. I can't, but you can. I can't do this, but you can. I need your strength, your power in this moment. Let me give you a, um, 
a small example because I think we, we, we miss the small moments of God's strengthening, God's empowering in our lives and, uh, and overlook those and just look for the big ones. And he does both. Uh, this last week was a full week for me. Um, and I, I want to tell you about Friday night, but to tell you about Friday night, I got to tell you about my whole week. Uh, and so I'm normally an early riser. I start around five in the morning because I, I love the mornings. I love getting up early. I get a lot of good work done when no one can bother me, uh, you know, and then get into the meetings and people and all those sort of things, right? Uh, and yet on Tuesday night, uh, well, yeah, Tuesday night, we're shooting a video for our next series, First and Best, next week. Uh, it was really exciting. It was great. It was an amazing night. But I was out till 11 at night, which is really late for me. I'm kind of in bed like at 9, 9.30. I know I don't look that old, but I act that old. Okay. Uh, and, and so, like, out to there. It was up till midnight. Man, the morning was rough. Oh, the next morning was rough. And then I had a long day, and we had this team huddle on Wednesday. It was amazing. And God showed up, and it was just, oh, so good to be with those who serve in our community. It was powerful. But, but then again, it was out till 10, 30, 11, another late night. And then as a result, I had a Thursday day away strategic planning for us as a church. And, and so my sermon prep time was really crunched. So Thursday night, I started at about like 9.30 and went till about 1.30 or 2 in the morning to finish the notes for tonight, for today. So I was up way later than I normally am. And so Friday, we're now to Friday. I'm tired. We're trying to get ready for our Halloween party for our neighbors. And then on top of that, we're driving to slow San Luis Obispo to, for Jenny's grandma's 85th birthday party. And so we show up and we drive down after the kids' school and we're driving back that night and I show up, and there's a lot of Jenny's family that uh, don't know Jesus or kind of culturally follow Jesus, and, um, and there's those that really do know and love Jesus as well. But when I go, I, I always feel like, God, I, I want to be such a, a light of who you are. But if I'm really honest, what I wanted in that moment was to be home, watch a movie all by myself. <laughs> Nobody around not nothing. Kids asleep, praise God. That would be great. And just, just watch them. Let me get Jenny and hang out. That would be great. That's really what I want. So I showed up, drove two and a half hours down there, tired, exhausted, don't really want to be around people. And, and, and this isn't my natural response to things. And so internally, I looked around and I had this question that this is not how I naturally ask. I'm like, you know what? I could really be a blessing. I'm tired, but I, I could actually help with the dishes. I hate doing dishes. I mean, I hate it. I just think it's the pits. I don't know why. There's just something about dishes that are terrible to me. And so I begin to collect the dishes and put them and, and, and start washing. And there's there's joy in my heart at this moment. I'm going, this is kind of weird. I was so tired. I was kind of falling asleep in one conversation, which was a little rude. But, <laughs> but now I'm alive and I'm excited and I'm just like, wow, this is great. And so I go and get more and I'm washing dishes and, and I'm having fun. I'm like, whoa, what is going on in this moment? Because that's not my normal response. In a, in a small way, granted, the empowering work of God, but we miss it in the small ways. And what was so interesting is Jenny's grandma asked twice, who did all these dishes? And it was noticed by the different family members. Ryan did. I'm like, oh, it wasn't a big deal. When reality was, it was a massive deal. That's not what I normally do. I'm not a dishwasher. I don't do those sort of things. <laughs> and she mentioned maybe three or four times to me, thank you so much. You know, we had like, 25 people in her house. Empowering work of God to be a blessing to others. And by the way, I'm the token pastor. So everything I do is taken through a particular lens. And they just got to see just a small glimpse of Jesus in a simple act that was a small thing, but was a big deal to them. See, it's not always these big extravagant things, but God shows up in your weaknesses when you're tired, when you don't have it, and, and when you obey the little promptings of God in your life, he says, I'm going to empower and I'm going to fuel that for you. 
How do you experience the all-sufficient, empowering work of God? Hmm. Prayer is the primary pathway to experiencing the power of God. Would you think about your perspective? Would you examine that? And right now, at this moment, you have the all-sufficient, immeasurable, inexhaustible resources of heaven available to you. Now, to close... I just want to briefly go, and, and by the way, for those, it's going to be just real quick. We could spend all day on this, but it's just going to be real quick. Just barriers. Barriers to experiencing the power of God. Because some of you, you walked in this morning, and the truth is, is you're a follower of Jesus. You're connected to, to the power source. There's a source and a connection to you that, that you already have it, but the lights aren't on. People aren't experiencing this. I put it up for you. They're off. You ever wonder why? For others, really the step is you're actually not connected. Today's the day of salvation where you put your faith and trust in Jesus' work that is sufficient for you. And when you say, I can't, but you can, would you come into my life and make me new? The promise of God is that the Spirit of God will come live inside you, make you new, and you will be empowered. But what are the barriers that keep the lights turned off from you experiencing the power of God? First one is we simply don't pray. I know it's obvious, but we just simply don't pray. We don't ask God. We don't talk to God. We're not keeping company with Him. Second barrier is we have unconfessed sin. Unrepentant, habitual sin. The psalmist said this, if I cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Uh, in the book, letter to the Thessalonians, the, the, uh, Paul said this, that you can actually quench the work of God in your life. And some of you are living lives that are counter to God's will and his ways, and yet you're asking God to bless you or show up. And he's like, no, no, we got to deal with this first, gang. We've got to deal with the heart and the root issues. You can't be looking habitually at porn and expect the power of God to then show up in other areas. You can't be gossiping and talking behind people's backs and then be, expect the power of God and the strength of God to show up in your life. You can't, I think you got it. We won't turn that into a sermon. When you live with unrepentant, unconfessed sin, it's a barrier to experiencing the power of God in your life. The third is we have broken relationships. You notice back in the text when Paul says, ever since I heard about your faith, horizontal in the Lord Jesus, and then your love for all the saints, our faith in Jesus is always demonstrated and expressed by our love for people. We can't not be good here and say, I don't care if we're not good and still be good here. That's not how it works. And some of you have some relationships to repair, some things to repent to others and restore. And you're wondering, well, why are the lights off? Because you're harboring anger in your heart towards your brother-in-law or towards your parents or to so-and-so, and you need to get clean and get right with them. Fourth is we come with the wrong motives. James said this, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your prayers. Go back to the so that. Why are you praying what you're praying? And here's what's, here's what's simple. Acknowledge your motives. Say, God, I, I, I think most of the time when we ask or when we talk to God, a lot of times it is with not always the best or right motives. But when we just acknowledge it, we just go, God, okay, that's, I'm struggling with this. So when I pray, and I've shared this before, when I pray, and you remember all those personal pronouns. By the way, it's awesome to hang out with people who always talk about themselves, isn't it? And tell, ask all things from you, and then yet we do that with God and wonder why our relationship isn't getting stronger, huh? Okay, but when I pray, and I'm praying that God would work powerfully, there's two motives, and I've shared this before. There's the motive 
of, yeah, I really long for God to work, but there's also the other side of, I want you to think well of me. I want you to think that I'm a, I'm a good speaker and that I'm intelligent and smart, and I have to confess that. I just go, God, God, would you do the work in me so that I can pray with more pure motives that are just for your glory and your name and your renown, more of you and less of me. And finally, finally, we lack compassion. We give stingily of our time, resources, energy, and money. In the Proverbs it says, whoever shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. That when our lives don't line up, when, when God has given us so much and yet we live stingy lives and we don't give of our time and of our energy and our lives and of our resources, it's like, are you serious? Wait a second. This, this makes no sense. I gave you everything and my son. And you're like, no, 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 it's just mine. He's going, yeah, you're hindering the power of God in your life. I want to close this way, and I, I pray that it will be powerful for you. Uh, a little bit later on, Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says this, And do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. What we're really talking about is this proactive, daily filling of the Spirit. Now, a lot of times when I've heard this verse, I, I always thought of it this way. Okay, the whole image of do not get drunk with wine, and so we, we don't, shouldn't be controlled by anything other than God, which I think that's certainly true. But have you ever thought about what it takes to get drunk? Don't raise your hand if you've been drunk, okay? But, but think about this. Do not get drunk. Getting drunk is a process. When you drink one glass of wine, you are not drunk, Depending on your body make, if you drink two glasses of wine, you are not drunk. Depending on your tolerance of your drinking wine, <laughs> right, okay. It takes consistent, repeated exposure to get drunk. I think that's maybe more of what Paul's saying here. Do not get drunk. Instead, be filled. We think it's this right there. No, what if it's one glass, two glass, three glass, four glass, five glass, consistent? I, where Paul would say it earlier, I keep on asking, I keep on moving, I keep on for your sake. What if it is that? What if it's, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to come to you and I'm going to keep coming to you until I experience and know you. So here's what it looks like for me. And I, and I don't say this, I was actually I was asking a few friends about this, of whether I should share it or not. I want it to be helpful and not for you to think that, oh wow, this is what Ryan does. But this is a habit of my heart to consistently keep on coming to God. And, and I have this daily prayer of surrender where I literally get on my knees and I start with my mind, go to my eyes, my mouth, my ears, my heart, my hands, and my feet, and I surrender afresh to the Holy Spirit my whole body. I mean, that's what Paul said, is to bring your life as a living sacrifice. And so to close, I simply want to do that with you. I'm going to invite the band to come on up, and I'm going to ask that we turn the lights completely off so it just gets to be you and God. And if you wouldn't mind getting on your knees with me. And I'm just going to pray my daily prayer, and it's a habit of the heart to recalibrate my life to God. And I pray that it would be helpful for you, and if you don't have a habit of the heart, I encourage you to embrace this as a daily habit of one drink of the Spirit, two drinks of the Spirit, but the right Spirit, not spirits, you know, but you know what I'm saying. So would you pray with me this prayer of surrender? And I literally actually take my hands just to physically posture and I touch the different areas that I'm praying. So God, I pray for our minds. Today, would you give us the mind of Christ? May our mind be lifted to things above where you are seated and not on earthly things. Now, by the way, as I pray this, oftentimes the Spirit of God reveals an area of sin or unconfessed things that I've thought, 
and I confess that to him. Would you take a moment as you invite Christ to, into your mind, to have the mind of Christ, that if there's anything that you've thought And you just go, God, I'm sorry. Maybe it's an impure thought. Maybe it's a mean thought. Maybe it's... God, today we surrender our eyes to you. Would you give us your eyes for those around us that we'd see others the way you see them. May we only look upon that which is pure and lovely. Guard us from things that would harm our hearts and our lives. And then if I've looked on anything or the Spirit of God brings that to my mind and I confess that. God, I surrender to you our ears. Would you help us listen to the Spirit's voice today? May we listen and obey. May we hear from you afresh and step into what you have for us. Would you give us ears to hear? God, we submit and surrender our words, our mouth to you. May we only speak that which is edifying and good and for the good repute of others. Would you guard us from saying words that would tear or harm others down, tear others down or harm them? For me specifically, I I pray for a gentleness and kindness. The words would not just be truthful, I'm good at the truth side, but they would be filled with grace. God, we surrender our hearts to you. Would you make us a people after your heart? Would you allow our heart to beat with your heart? Would you cause our heart to break for what breaks your heart? God, to submit and surrender our hands. May they be active in building up your kingdom. May they not tear down work. May they be active in doing what's good and, and bring life to those around us and submit to you our feet. As your word says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. May we rush to others to bring them the good news and hope to which you've called us. And would you guard us from rushing to that which would harm us and others? Here I am. Here we are. Fill us afresh. In Jesus' name.